You're listening to Arrowhead Radio. Do my prejudices influence communication of the gospel? What is my position as a Christian on mission? Is Christianity compatible with other religious expression? Is evangelism simply white colonization? Do all expressions of faith lead to the same ultimate outcome? We can boldly face the relativism that is influencing missions and overtaking the clear message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Join us as we discuss complex issues facing the local church as it serves Christ in obedience to the Great Commission. This is Mission of the Nations with host Grant Fawcett. Hello, everybody. It's a beautiful, rainy afternoon here at Arrowhead, uh, and we are... uh, just going to introduce a conversation for you that took place a, a couple of months ago this past uh, August, uh, the week of the 23rd. Um, we had the opportunity to travel to Pinawa, Manitoba, a little community just north of Winnipeg. I took Marilyn Brianne uh, with me to um, the NCEM General Conference, and we had the opportunity to fellowship with uh, and visit with and hear teaching from a number of NCEM missionaries. And while we were there, I took the opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with Paul Hanthorne and Carl Sonickson. They're two of our NCEM missionaries who are serving in more remote areas of Canada. Carl Sonickson in Goose Bay and Paul Hanthorne in uh, Fort McPherson, uh, Northwest Territories. So from between Labrador between Carl in Labrador and Paul in the Northwest Territories, there's there's something like 5,000 miles between them um, in the same nation, serving the same agency, presenting the same gospel, um, and having different kinds of challenges. Uh, so the conversation that we had was with respect to uh, what's it like to serve in a remote area. Uh, I have questions about what that's like, and I'm sure other people wonder often what it's like to be a missionary in a community that's remote and how far it is from um, what we would consider to be sort of regular society or, or easy access to services and amenities and, you know, what those challenges can be like for a missionary. So we sat down and we talked about it briefly. You know, I, it was 10 o'clock at night and these guys had had full days. And so I just snagged them and we had a short conversation. Uh, we did it at the conference center, so you'll have to forgive the quality a little bit and uh, lots of noise that was around. But we had an interesting conversation that I think was very helpful, and hopefully you guys will be uh, encouraged and in- enjoy listening to to that little chat uh, today. All right, so we're here at uh, Pinawa, Manitoba uh, with the NCEM General Conference, and uh, I've asked Paul Hanthorne and Carl Sonickson to join me uh, tonight for a discussion about um, what it's like to work as a missionary in a remote area. Um, and I'm going to let them talk to you about uh, exactly where it is that they serve the Lord and, and what has brought them there. Uh, maybe, Carl, we'll, we'll start with you. Yeah, I'm Carl Sonickson, and I'm originally uh, from the U.S., but uh, I've been in Canada almost half my life, being a dual citizen now. Uh, my passion for Indigenous people really began back when I was a young teen, seeing uh, the love my grandfather had for, uh, for the population of indigenous people on the coast of Maine and up into Quebec. Uh, Grandpa was 
kind of spearheaded the Christ for the Lumberjacks movement way back with Bill Gallant in Maine. And just his, his passion kind of carried over to me. And as a young Christian, I had my intentions of getting into a career and slowly lost sight of that uh, some 10 years into the career and just felt uneasy with the lack of uh, opportunities I had in sharing my faith in my career. So uh, I really jumped into it, went to Moody Bible Institute for three years, um, thought I was heading into international missions, uh, realized it wasn't overseas I was wanting to go. Um, came across NCEM back in Urbana, 1984. Uh, that was the first table I came across in this huge auditorium. And after talking to Arlen Enns for just a, a brief time, I realized NCEM was uh, the place that God was leading me to. Um, Labrador came into the picture probably 1985, uh, back with Marge Alford, who was uh, the candidate representative at, at NCEM. She mentioned Labrador, and uh, my attention was always in the north. I used to always look at the maps uh, as a young... My grandmother says back when I was eight, I used to look at the roads going north into Canada into isolation and I just was intrigued and uh, God combined all that together and uh, just my my love for the indigenous people I had a, a friend Moonface Bear in Connecticut with a with a uh, Mashantucket people and uh, he was a, a follower of Christ and just his uh, the change I saw in his life um, just gave me more of a drive to share my faith in indigenous communities. And NCEM came into that picture as well. Um, Labrador, if any of you are aware of where that is, it's in the northeastern part of Canada. A lot of people think it's El Salvador in South America. Um, and uh, some people think we're attached to Alaska, but yeah. Labrador was originally where we intended to go and ended up in New Brunswick for seven years working at Arrowhead, where Grant uh, ministers now. And, um, so God just gave us the opportunity to move on seven years into our ministry. There's a big story behind all that, but uh, yeah, we're, we're really, we've been in Labrador now for 22 years and raised our kids there. Abby was one when we moved there and uh, she's now 23 and Silas is 26 and um, we don't know when the time is to leave. Um, people ask us that and we just say, well, God's going to have to make that really clear for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We need to have purpose to leave a, a ministry that seems to be moving ahead. Mm -hmm. Pass it over to Paul. All right. So, Paul, what has led you to uh, where you are? Yeah, my name is Paul Hanthorne, and I'm a minister in Fort McPherson in the Northwest Territories. It's, uh, it's in the Arctic. And, uh, yeah, it's... It, there's a host of things, I suppose, that you could say have um, led my family, my wife and I, and now my children, uh, in ministry. But um, first of all, um, the Lord let it on, put it on my heart to uh, to be led into full-time ministry, and then um, it was also in my heart as well to minister to people in the far north and I initially thought that uh, that would be in the field of aviation but um, the Lord had other ideas and it was actually more of a pastoral uh, work that that I, I was called to and I feel called to and so um, it 
it's uh, I don't know how to I don't know how to um, it's a, yeah it's it's a big story I don't know how much of the story I can tell you sure but um, yeah or how much I should tell you that's all right well uh, you guys are working in I mean I think we said something like eight thousand kilometers apart in the same nation but with different people groups so. Carly, who are the people that you are serving in ministry? It's an interesting question because it began with the Inuit and the Inu, which would be the Mashua Inu people uh, along the north coast of Labrador, and the Montagne, which would be kind of an offshoot of the Mashua Inu, and then the, the Metis or their newly governed area called the Nunatuhavut people. Um, now we have a, a big population of Filipinos moving into our area, um, mm. East Indians, and so our ministry really is comprising uh, multinational people uh, wow. of all, and families are coming into our area, doctors and from different parts of the world. So it's, it's uh, we see it really a broad ministry and we're not sure how to spread ourselves out to all that. Um, we did live in Maine on the north coast in an Inuit community, uh, the farthest north on the coast, and uh, that's a 1,200 population of Inuit people. Hmm. Um, they would speak their, their dialect, but English was just as well spoken. So I had a radio station that I, I, I used to reach people as well as community ministries on volunteer groups. And uh, raising our kids there was really difficult because of the high suicide rate during the time we were there. We had 18 suicides in one year. And, it got dark spiritually. I remember having to climb Nain Hill just to get above that that darkness. Because we mm -hmm. were without Christian fellowship for five years. That, mm. that was not easy. We had a few Christians coming and going um, that we could identify with. But uh, there were times where I felt alone. Um, we did see the need to take our kids out of Nain because of the, the dark education at the time. and mm -hmm. um, So... Should I get into how we moved out of there? Sure. Well, yeah. It was over a haircut. Um, we saw our time as the needing to, to come to move, and yet uh, Laura was cutting my hair, and we always thought, saw Goose Bay as the place just to stop over to go on to, to, to see our supporters and families and whatnot. But Goose Bay became that, that place that we saw as a potential ministry, and Laura, as she was cutting my hair, just said, why don't we consider Goose Bay? Because it's a central hub for for indigenous communities across Labrador, mm -hmm. and it's right in the middle. And uh, so, it didn't take long for us to, to guess that uh, that's where God really was intending us to have us go. Mm -hmm. So we uh, had to purchase a house without seeing it. Wow! And uh, we moved in there, and uh, we have a 20 by 40 foot building that we used as a bookstore and ministry building um, next to our house. And uh, so that was the beginning of our ministry in Happy Valley Goose Bay. And it's been 20, 19, 18 years since we've been there. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, hard just to step step away from that at the time. But, uh, yeah. For sure. We're really feeling fulfilled there. Okay. So, I mean, the, the ministry would have changed dramatically coming to an urban, more of an urban center. Well, the funny thing you say that is, I, 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 feel, I feel that God has also enabled me to work with inner city people. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was in Chicago downtown, I had a ministry I had with the, uh, the homeless and the, the inner city uh, 
So I think I could fit into that as well. Mm -hmm. What we don't fit into is suburbia. Okay. I yeah. really struggle with the in-between. It's got to be either something remote, uh, working and digging in with the community or being in an urban area. Okay. Winnipeg looked really good the other day because their <laughs> winters are like a month and a half shorter than Labrador. <laughs> it's considered the high spots of Canada, but it looks really good for winters. Yeah, yeah. I imagine winter is probably interesting where you are, but yeah. well, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you're serving and, and that uh, sure. context. Yeah, so the people that we minister to in the Northwest Territories are uh, mostly um, people, they call themselves Gwich'in now. The, the older name uh, that, that I've heard when we first moved to the North about um, 29 years ago uh, was Lushu, and I, I think that's, um, yeah, a description, maybe a French description of um, the people's eyes, slanted eyes. Oh, wow. Um, but, yeah, they call themselves Gwich'in, and there's a number of Gwich'in settlements in um, the Northwest Territories. There's a... a large settlement in Yukon, but there's also um, settlements of Gwich'in people in um, Alaska as well. And the same uh, basic people group uh, are found in communities scattered uh, all up the Mackenzie River, which is south of us. Uh, the people groups there are um, Slavey and uh, Dog Rib. Um, so that's greater um, people group as a whole, I guess, are, are those three different people groups. So mm -hmm. Now you had mentioned this morning uh, when you shared with uh, the conference that you know, you're involved with a camp. Would yeah. you have uh, young people from all three of those people groups come to that? To that um, program? No, no, because the, the people that we, um, that we work with specifically are um, the Tetlik Gwich'in, which, which are from our community of Fort McPherson. Um, and there's also um, uh, uh, sorry, um, no, yeah, there's okay. also people from uh, uh, a little community uh, called Sikachik. And um, they're there's another community, um, uh, other communities um, and people groups that, that do also come to the camp too, um, but not from our area. Okay. And doesn't sound very clear, does it? No, no, that's good. That's, no, that, right. that is, that's clear. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you guys, you know, and I know you've both been in the North now for a number of years, but what was it like preparing emotionally and mentally and spiritually to go somewhere that's far away from medical help and Walmart, <laughs> you know, like, what's that like? I mean, maybe there's a Walmart in Goose Bay now, is there? No, I'd like to see a Canadian Tire, but no, there's, <laughs> okay. there's none of either of those. Okay. Um, we got a Tim Hortons, that's enough for now. Oh, yeah, well. <laughs> you know, actually, I never gave it a thought because I, I never really... Never really had a passion for that kind of stuff. Um, I think now looking back, 
and I don't know if this would have kept us from staying there longer, but looking back, our kids have not been around family nearly as much as we would have liked to have them. In fact, just uh, two months ago, I was reading an article, um, I think it was on CBC or something, saying how kids that spend their time with grandparents are so much more fulfilled in life. Mm. And that was a big ouch. I, I hope my kids don't read that article. But uh, it's just it's just like, in a sense, we look back, what did we keep our kids from? And our kids have mentioned that they never grew up around family, which it was difficult to get out, you know, mm. during our time in Maine, especially when it was $1,000 each just to get to Goose Bay and back, which is 45-minute flight. And so to go on from there to see family was really costly. Now we do have air miles to travel with, but our kids are all grown up. So that was the big issue, looking back. And I think back then, even then, we we felt like we were keeping our kids from family. Uh, mm. That was the cost, I guess, if you wouldn't want to call it that. And um, both Laura and I are fine without the amenities of life. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we lived off a of caribou and fish, and uh, that was enough for us. And we just loved the people. Mm -hmm. um, that was, that was our life. And now with Goose Bay, we do have paved roads out, so we can drive west to Lab City, which is a six-hour drive. There's a Canadian tire there. Most of our shopping is done online, so Amazon sends things really quick. Hmm. So it's not, a, not an issue. It's uh, We just really enjoy being where we are, okay. regardless of the lack of stores and malls. Yeah. And how about you in the community you're in? Well, there's one thing that comes to my mind is that... <clears throat> The, that the Lord in His um, in His goodness and His grace, um, He does equip us, and He uh, if He calls us to a specific field, then He equips us. Mm. And um, some it's kind of funny because uh, some little things and maybe seemingly insignificant things. I look back and I see, wow, you know, the Lord did that, and um, and it's not something I could have planned. Um, uh, just to give you an example, uh, the people in the north are, um, as Carl can attest to, I'm sure, they they hunt and they fish and and uh, they they're out on the land and they'll field dress their their. Um, whatever they're catching a moose and shooting a moose or or caribou and they'll field dress it right there and uh, before I went to the field um, I lived, I worked at a, a slaughterhouse and um, I, I uh, used a knife and it was very comfortable for me and it was just something s small and ins insignificant but um, the Lord um, gave me that opportunity um, and it was, I just see it as just another part of his, his equipping, another part of his preparation. And, and um, it was easy for me to, uh, to transition in, in some ways. Um, there were certain things that helped our transition from life in the South and um, from a very close-knit uh, Christian family that I came from. Um, to transition to an isolated place with um, no amenities and um, and very little Christian fellowship. So, uh, yeah, that's 
it's so so God really gets the glory, I guess, and um, in the end, at the end of the day. So both of you have sort of articulated that fellowship with Christians is something that you've noticed that that might be a need. So what is something that I mean, aside from prayer, what is a way that people can support or care for or minister to missionaries who work remotely, whether it's in Canada or elsewhere? We've been put in touch with a number of people. I won't say what their names are, but in fact, just down the road, 45 minutes, is a, a former pastor who somehow connected with us and we get his emails, personal emails of, of just conveying that he's praying for us and he's so detailed in, in how he feels God is leading him to pray in regards to our ministries and uh, we appreciate people like that. Another woman in Saskatchewan, um, older, elderly lady who also connected with us through mail, snail mail and um, that was really encouraging. Mm -hmm. um, and I gotta mention you. Um, <laughs> I mean, we've had care packages over the years, but you and your family, I mean, as of two Christmases in a row, sent us this big box, um, all these little packages to open every day before Christmas for 24 days, and things like that mean a lot to us, yeah. And, uh, very special, the way God lays on people's hearts to just encourage. Yeah, well, for us, um, I really felt that support from uh, my immediate family, my parents especially, they're our prayer warriors, and um, yeah, I know that the Lord just does things, and He just, uh, um, I guess for us, it, it was, it happened through our parents, and we really feel supported and loved and prayed for, um, and even though, yes, we don't get a lot of um, Christian fellowship. Um, we feel the support from from home, from family, and um, my dad was my mentor, and and so uh, that's that has made a big difference for us. And um, yeah, and we have gotten to know over the years uh, people in communities like uh, that are south of us, that um, a community that I go. To um, and minister to at camp um, in Dawson City. We feel um, encouraged by those people and uh, people along the way um, in Whitehorse, and um, there's fellowship there, and uh, and then people even far south as um, as um, Innisfil, Alberta, and and um, and Okotoks. You know, there's there's people that the Lord puts in your life and. And they're a blessing. Some of them are financial supporters. And some of them are just uh, people that come alongside, and they're they're like brothers, you know. Mm -hmm. And where my family is, um, all of my family, my siblings are. Um, it's, they may as well be a million miles away. Um, so it's it's actually kind of biblical that um, that the Lord brings people into your life, and they're like your brother. Mm. And so they fill the void, and mm. so it's it's kind of cool. That you is. Know? Yeah, that is. It's a funny thing you mention that because I'm more of a sentimental guy, and I think uh, my kids 
I'm kind of a little offended the way their dad attached to other people as family so much, so easily. But since uh, we were so isolated from family, that was just part of me. Um, is just wanting to attach to people to connect with them uh, just as family. Uh, because my real family has been so far away and mm -hmm. it's just part of who I am. And, uh, yeah, it's good to connect in those kind of ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I think like your your question was kind of like what can people, uh, what would help people to um, to know specifically maybe what they can do just to be there, you know, for um, missionaries and be a support person, just be a be a uh, resource person, be a be a friend, be a you know, reach out and. Um, you know, I don't think any of the people that I've really connected with have, like, gone out of the way and told themselves, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be Paul Hanthorne's resource person or buddy, you know, and right. or mentor. Um, but they were just real, and they were just mm -hmm. um, Christian mm -hmm. and um, Christ-like, and so, um, and in there and available mm -hmm. so uh, yeah you know being a missionary for 30 years now um, I know that we've been looked at in different perspectives as we meet with different people but I almost, I almost would say that Christians back in the local churches that even support us uh, face more difficulties than we do sometimes uh, mm -hmm. we're out in the field we're we're serving uh, and being supported by them, but at, at times we think of how much missionary or more they are serving in the local church and in their in their careers and the hardships they face politically in their 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 places where they live. And um, I can't raise myself any above that and say that. Well, I'm a missionary. I I'm I'm special. You know, uh, they're missionaries where they are called as well. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're reminded of that year after year that, yes, God has called us where we are, but at the same time, uh, their calling, those who support us, their calling is not any less. Mm -hmm. uh, probably because I wasn't a career at the time, too, and I had I had outlets for ministry in my career. And so maybe coming from a career into the mission field, maybe I look at it a little differently. If I came right out of Bible school into the mission field, maybe I would feel different, have a different perspective, I don't know. Hmm. But uh, I appreciate really, people back home. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's really important, mm -hmm. for sure. This morning, uh, Paul, you mentioned that um, you go through a set of tires every season in in the area that you live in. And Carl, you mentioned that when you were in Maine, it's like a thousand dollars per person. Mm -hmm. So those are a couple of things that are challenges that are perhaps not typical for those of us who might live like the typical Canadian lives within 200 miles of the border, right? Mm -hmm, like yeah. we're in the South. And so what are some other things about serving God in the North that might be challenges that might make life a little different or not that, not that it's harder, but it's, it's, it's harder in a different way that might be hard for someone else. Like what are some of those things? Um, Having having pastor friends, uh, although even being down in Goose Bay now, like we have, I have several friends who are pastors, and yet 
they can't st they still can't quite identify with me in in the work that we do mm -hmm. uh, working with inmates and whatnot is there's always that that stigma between missionary and pastor and even sometimes uh, local churches back where we were in New Brunswick um, I don't know if they could quite identify with what we do on the reserves I know that we would see them around us and and they would say we're praying for you and then not too long after you would see some of the the resistances they had against the native population in our area. That wasn't remote. Actually being remote, you know, I can't really think of any disadvantages. Okay. Um, maybe it's because who I am. Um, maybe if, if, if you're a person that really needs to work with another team, mm -hmm. other couples, um, maybe being in a remote community would be a difficult thing. Mm -hmm. I just love getting into the community and uh, doing what I can to mm -hmm. be a, a light for Christ in the lives of people. Um, mm -hmm. well, I think for us, um, um, we have um, some challenges just because there's a lot of territory that we need to travel uh, from uh, traveling in and out, um, so logistics for people that, that come in and minister with us too from time to time. It's a, it's a long, long, hard road. Um, we've had, um, yeah, a few surprises and along the way. I've had gone through a couple vehicles and, um, and um, I suppose there's just um, on a long road and a long trip there there are obstacles and there are um, uh, you're just going to have issues and and accidents happen um, mm -hmm. so uh, yeah had a, had challenges involving the road that we live on the Dempster Highway and and um, so sometimes the Dempster Highway is um, just beautiful scenic place and other times it's um, it's as if it's trying to kill you. Sometimes <laughs> it's, it's a pussy cat. Sometimes it's a lion. And, um, so, but the Lord's again. The Lord is faithful, and the Lord is um, is there for us. And practically, yeah. though, like, is there like for people that aren't familiar with what it's like in Fort McPherson? Is there a mechanic? Mm, or, or no. Do you, do you fix no. it yourself? What, do you get a flat tire and? Yeah. You're 100 miles outside yeah. of town. I think probably Carl could attest to this, but... Does CAA serve Fort uh, McPherson? Does the what? CAA? Canada Canadian Automobile Actually, Canada. I'm traveling with that this summer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, um, uh, roadside assistance, I believe, does. <laughs> Interesting enough, one time I had uh, roadside assistance actually come and get my vehicle um, and take it down a thousand kilometers. What? to um, a <laughs> Ford dealership, if you can imagine. Wow. Right? So yeah. they cover the first 250, it, right? So where is the, no. the thousand kilometer away Ford dealership? It's in Whitehorse. Okay. Yeah, so surprisingly enough, that's only happened once. Okay. Um, and it's recent, something recent, so maybe that's... Wow. Maybe that's something only Ford does. I don't know. <laughs> that's remarkable. But there are no, really, uh, no uh, mechanic shops and there are no hardware stores, and um, yeah, again, not all the amenities, 
and uh, but that's yeah that's just the way it goes and uh, but it, I, I think that Carl can attest to this that you at times become a Mr. Fix-It and, and you um, you know sometimes if God gives you the ability to be a carpenter or a plumber I'm kind of a Mr. Fix-It I do a little bit of carpentry and mm -hmm. a little bit of mechanics and and so yeah that's the way it is yeah. you know when we comes were with the territory when we were in Maine um, basically to move there I sold all my tools and my shotgun and rifle and I don't know why but I thought we could go with nothing but I come to find out that I, well, I never was on a snowmobile a skidoo until we moved to Maine and I had this old beater and I had to put things together and I I just didn't have the mechanical abilities to, to know what to do in some of those situations. So I called on for help, some buddies down the road, and I found out, wow, they really feel privileged to help. Oh, wow. And it was a total outreach of ministry is asking for help. Hmm. And it's like they were, they were more than willing to help this guy that just moved into their community. Um, it was shocking, and uh, they were just... It just built and connected relationships with us. Okay. And, you know, it was good. So that, that kind of leads into what I was really wanting to, to ask about is is what it looks like in a community like that to be the, the professional Christian. I mean, some of them may not know that that's why you're there, but but what does, what does mission, like what gospel transmission, gospel communicating, what does it look like in a, in a community that's, closed in that way I mean you're flying in or you're driving a thousand kilometers or what does that look like yeah well because um, you, you can't get you can't get away from them right mm -hmm. if, if something blows up or if you know mm -hmm. if the gospel's super offensive I mean what I mean it's got to be it's got to be different a little bit than Cumberland Bay mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. we in informing person um, we have hoped to establish a church there, mm. and uh, for us, it's um, in my understanding, it um, should be church planting, mm. and um, mm -hmm. that, and the Lord has opened opportunities and and doors uh, to um, to reach people, and um, so. Um, you know, I, I think that you have to let go of some of your preconceived ideas, I think, at times, and um, we and we had some, um, but the Lord in His time and in His way reaches people, and He uses us, so, uh, and so that's, that's, in a nutshell, that's what's happened for us, and and there is a, um, a small group of believers in our community, and uh, we fellowship together. And, and uh, there's um, there is a desire for them to to learn and to grow. And um, yeah, up in the far north mm -hmm. of Canada, and I don't think we're any different than um, uh, churches anywhere else. And uh, people have, have truly come to Christ there's we're a small nucleus of people and and they have they have um, 
they've come to Christ and uh, they are eager to to grow and to to learn more and they they realize that uh, uh, that they need to and their hope is in Christ, in the Lord and their uh, um, and their there are things to learn, just like I have things to learn. Mm. Uh, they feel they're, that um, they have uh, they have a lot to learn too, and and um, and it's encouraging though, as as a missionary, to see all this happening right before our eyes. And it's it doesn't happen maybe the way that we think it should or could, and uh, but again, it happens in in God's time and. Um, he he does um, he does the work in the background and and we plant seeds and uh, or we water seeds and he gives the increase. So um, yeah, have the people in your community suffered rejection or separation by from family because they followed Christ and and became part of the church? Well, in Fort McPherson, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I I know that I heard. Um, our people tell us that um, they've kind of felt a little bit ostracized, you might say. Mm-hmm. And so it there's a there is a sacrifice to following the Lord, and um, we all know that, and and they and they're experiencing it too. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, um, in in different ways, and some people see, some people are like pleased that you know this person, particular person doesn't drink anymore, they don't carouse, and they're different. Mm-hmm. Um, and But yet, at the same time, um, I hear uh, people saying, well, you think you're better than me, you know? Right. And so, um, all that kind of stuff. It's part of, like, persecution, really. Right. And it, it hurts, it stings, but, um, uh, yeah, but I guess we're, we're all told that we're going to, we're going to have experience persecution. Mm. Paul touched on the very key that I'm looking at too is uh, the inmates I deal with uh, they're they're giving it their best shot even those that are apart from Christ they're they're trying to apply scripture without that relationship and uh, it's honorable honorable, but yet uh, they need to go further Um, I think Zach is one that comes to mind. He's called me a couple times since arriving in Winnipeg and here. And um, some of the inmates that I'm dealing with, they are facing that persecution. Um, they'll be told, "Well, you must be hanging around Carl, that pastor," you know. And, and uh, it's almost a privilege, and they almost feel it a privilege too, because they they they, they want to move ahead in life. Mm. And people are seeing a difference uh, in their motivations that get them through their day. They're struggling with addictions and mental health issues. Um, I find I got to be careful not to be too paternal. Yeah. Um, but the area that, that we're in right now, in Nain, we were in a Moravian community, and a lot of people across Canada may not be familiar with Moravianism. It's, it goes way back to John Huss. The first martyr, he was burned at the stake, and uh, then the Moravian movement started uh, in Europe. Moravians came across in the 1500s, and and actually the the church in Maine on the north coast is the oldest established church in all of Canada. Oh wow! 1752. So 
we had originally intended to move into Davis Inlet, which was a Catholic community of, of Inu people, and um, that would have been really difficult. Yeah. We tried several times to get into Davis Inlet way back when they had all the suicides, and the world was sending in bottles of water just trying to be a help of some kind. But after the, the band council continued to reject our our wishes to come into the community to help, we said, well, let's go check out Nain, which is just north of Davis Inlet. And uh, Nain was the place to go. It was it was refreshing. We, we left our ministry in New Brunswick with the Mi'kmaq, um, faced certain trials and that, and then we moved to Nain in a Moravian community, and it was like, wow. It had a good foundation already, mm -hmm. but yet it became very liturgical over the years, and we, we worked with the liturgy to try to bring the gospel back into the whole picture. And, um, it was just an interesting five years working with the Moravian church, hmm. trying to reestablish their roots. Is there is there a gospel presence in Moravianism? I'm not familiar with. Very very much so. I mean, it's very solid years ago, but then German ministers came in with some very liberal theology okay. back mid 1800s, late okay. 1800s, and it became just uh, professing Christ with their lips. Okay. The liturgy solid. Um, it's become a very just tradition of men. Very, very interesting. Well, look, I really want to thank you guys for taking the time to to talk uh, a little bit about your ministries and uh, and and share what it's like to live in. For those of us who live in New Brunswick or in the South, it seems very, very far away. I mean. You know, God certainly gives grace to those that he calls uh, to put you guys where you are. And uh, uh, hopefully those who are listening to this will pray for you guys and maybe reach mm -hmm. into you and, uh, and encourage you as well. Thanks for having us. God bless. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> this has been a broadcast of Arrowhead Radio, a ministry of Arrowhead Native Bible Center. For good Christian resources, visit our bookstore at wabanakibooks.com. Look for a new episode next week wherever you find your favorite podcasts.